Warning, this podcast is rated effed up for profanity, sexual violence, and potentially disturbing material. If I were you, I'd turn back now. I hate you. I'm laid off. You want to trade? I can't do no. my job. I was told that yesterday. You gotta no. wear a push-up bra next time. I don't have boobs. I'm calling anyway. back to my first episode. <clears throat> Welcome to the Macabre Academy. <laughs> Hi! There's a Brandy. She's slowly getting drunk on an entire bottle of wine in one cup. Oh, I'm already drunk. Oh, fantastic. Oops. That's right. I was showing off my assortment of beverages, so Kevin is going to be have to much more clever to sneak in his wildly inappropriate statement this episode. Damn it. We'll figure it out. It's going to happen. Don't worry about it. <laughs> He's prepared. All right, we're gonna we're gonna make this episode happen. So we got some official business before we get on to my episode. God damn it! Was that it? Go ahead. Or is that official business? Oh, it's not official business. It's official business. We had we had a write in for a correction. Oh, okay, I can deal with that. All right. So you do you remember our little drinking fantasticness on our Arash Kagal episode? You and me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we're we're sisters of sin now. Yeah. Good okay. times. So. The email starts, all hail sister of sin. (laughs) I really enjoy the podcast and learning things, which at my age isn't easy to do. But I did notice a small error. It was mentioned that the gospels were written in cuneiform. The language predates the Greeks, Hebrew, and Aramaic languages used in writing of the gospels. My evidence is uh, the website www.ancient.edu slash cuneiform backslash. Oh, so, yeah, I got a source too on my correction. This is great. Nice. The Patreon further goes on to say Gilgamesh is a funny name, but I also personally like Tiglith Pileser II. I can't say his name, Pileser, but it is a good name. He was a king of Assyria. You are amazing. Yeah. And he said um, um, from 966 to 935 BC. He also used BC correctly, so I'm happy. And Look it's just him. I know, because we do not use BCE on this show. We do not. Hi, I'm trash. Yep. And then uh, he said, keep up the good work, you rock, Brian. And that is Brian of House Veritas. Yay! Yeah, so he is awarded five points for the correction and five for the name Tiglath. I read about, yeah, I uh, actually read about those Assyrian kings number one through three on his ancient.edu and Britannica.com. So I love this kind of stuff, especially when it's offered to me out of a place of love. So thank you so much for writing me. Somebody finally used the email. Super happy. So happy. Right. So happy, so happy, so good. So hi, Brian. I just Thanks need for you to know that one, hi, Brian, your bomb.com. Two, I just changed during that whole thing because now I'm in Steph's room area thing where there's no air conditioning and I'm hot and I'm angry and drunk. So angry and drunk. Mm. So now I'm in my PJs. I'm sitting outside in a hoodie and sweatpants, so what does that say about me? Listen, I'm in an attic with no air conditioning. 
Why are you in the attic? Or fans. Because that's where Ryan's room is. Oh. And at Ryan's house. Oh, just a reminder, you've kicked him in the face. Yeah, I have. It's good times. He's in the other room just chilling there playing video games. Mm. All right. This episode needs to start. I feel like we're off to a rocky start. This is I also feel like this needs a huge content warning before we get started. Oh, hell yeah. Why? Murder? Murder, rape. uh, Listen, they knew what they signed up for. Assault. They know what they signed up for. Oh, yeah. Samane's definitely going to put the the fucked up warning on the beginning of this episode. So, huge content warning for all of you who may be listening. Let's just blanket the whole thing because the story is so long. I don't know that I have time to go warning, warning. Warning. Yeah, this is this is your content warning for the entire episode. Of uh, entire two episodes. This is two parter. Well, wait, I'm gonna say it again it, at the beginning of the next one. Fair. Fuck you. Why is it okay for you to not have to do a um hey warning, this is fucked up, but I have to do it? Because you can I do just blanket one at the start of the episode. Yeah, we just covered Listen, the entire I don't episode. do that. I just tell you everything and then I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Steph yeah. is now crying. Yeah. This is well, why I do a content warning at the beginning of the episode. So now we're covered for the entire episode. Done. When Steph starts to cry. Well, I'm not going to cry because it's my episode. This entire episode is pretty fucked up, so. Hmm. Listen, I still want you to cry just a little bit. I'm not going to cry a How's little bit. How's your hand? Better, because I went and bought medicine that the doctor told me not to use on it, and it looks a lot better. Oh, good. I'm glad. Fuck the doctor. I always fight with doctors. I've said this on the podcast before. I always fight with doctors. Yeah. Always. I go to the Med Express and I'm like, dude, I have a borderline second degree burn, but I'm not stupid. And I didn't put it under hot water or cold water. I didn't put out any water on it. I put on burn cream and I came straight here. And he's like, oh, good. You probably saved your hand. And I'm like, yeah, luckily I'm not stupid. And then I was like, all right, so you're going to give me some lidocaine and you're going to give me a, a note for work. And he's like, you're not going to put lidocaine on that. And I'm like, yeah, I am. And he goes, you don't want to do that. You want to just put an aloe on it and take ibuprofen. And I was like, no, I want lidocaine because you don't understand how good I'm being right now because this hurts so bad. So I fuck that guy. I go to Target and I buy 4% lidocaine emergency burn gel with aloe that the guy said I shouldn't use. And now my hand's not that red. I just got to make sure I don't break the blisters. Fuck you, Ben Express. Is it fucked up that I want to pop your blisters? Yes, that could make my hand worse. I could get an infection. Don't you dare. I'm Do not sorry. pop burn blisters. I just want to pop them. No. All right, Brandy, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to start with it with the uh the easy stuff. Okay? We're going to we're going to ease into this one like like dipping her Who's murdering in. children? Nobody in this episode unless you count a 17-year-old as a child. Oh, no, it sounds like children are being murdered right now. Oh, yeah, they're just hooligans running up and down the street screaming bloody oh, okay. murder. But it's too okay. hot for me to shut the window, so here we are. That's fine. I just wanted to make sure. Okay, so we're going to talk about Alaska in the 80s. However, I want to start in the beginning, so here we are. All right. Originally, the land was home to indigenous peoples migrating across the Bering Land Bridge, sometimes... These peoples are known as ancient Beringans, Pittsburghese, gonna fuck it up, sorry. The, the Alaska didn't have its first settlement as a territory until Russia in the 17th century, I believe. It 
first desirable resource resource was the fur trade, specifically sea otter pelts, which was considered the finest fur in the world, which hurts my heart a little because I fucking love me some otters. That's sad. Yeah, well, they're one of my spirit animals. So I'm like, oh, 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 not the sea otters, but otters in general. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So Russia never fully colonizes Alaska. So the U.S. formally negotiated the Alaskan purchase from Russia in 1867 for $7.2 million. That was still not enough, though. It didn't officially become a state till the January 3rd of 1959. And our case is going to start in the 60s at some point, too. So... That's how long Alaska was a state. Originally, the fur trade and exploration of seafood was their primary, uh, their primary exports until the discovery of oil in 1977. Cool. All right. Cool. So, so here we are. So, okay. So it's a new state, basically. Um, and Alaska was known as the last frontier. It had vast expanses of unsettled wilderness and became known for hunting big game. So you get this influx of miners, pipeliners, hunters, and fishermen. So you get a 1980s nightlife that grows, and it's very difficult to regulate. And when I mean like nightlife, we're talking about bars, nightclubs, porn stores, strip clubs, and the timeless trade of prostitution. And that's something we see very similarly in the Wild West from the late 1850s to 1910. So somebody had to keep all these dudes occupied. Okay, so there was a network of sex trade, and it's a weird network. I would have never put this together on a map. Okay, ready? Seattle, San Francisco, Honolulu, and Anchorage. These are the four spots to make your money as a prostitute, and you will cycle through all these four spots. You'll see some girls in Alaska from Hawaii. Why the fuck would you leave Hawaii for Alaska? I'm so confused. I would have stayed in Honolulu. Okay, so we have the sex trade. And there were transients who shifted between these cities at a drop of a dime. They had no family ties to, you know, leave behind. So they could disappear and nobody would miss them. Sometimes junkies left to get clean too, because, you know, addiction is a thing. And unfortunately, with the prostitution, they became easily uh, easy targets um, because they operated under the radar a lot of the times. Police would ignore cases of missing persons or crime reports for sex workers because uh, you see this a lot. Like we saw it with Anthony Sowa. Oh, they're on the crack. I don't care. Well, these are prostitutes. They, they probably just left in the middle of the night. Get over it. That's what they do. I say, some things never change, do they? Mm-hmm. That's fucked. Yeah. All right. I, so, see, a, I see a recurring theme for the podcast. <laughs> Shit, nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. I am not wrong. I don't think Kev's ever wrong. Uh, I'm married. I'm wrong all the time. Mm. Truth. Fair. Okay, so you ready to start the story now that I've set the stage? Yeah. Okay. November 17th, 1981, a topless dancer named Sherry Georgia Marrow was Great reported. Name. 
Yeah, she danced under the name Georgia. So nice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Sherry, Sherry Model Morrow was reported missing by her boyfriend after she was dropped off for a big money date. So this was $300 for proposing for nude photography. So a lot of money for nothing. <laughs> All right. So Sherry Morrow doesn't show up to her cha- topless dancer job at the Wild Cherry. Law enforcement, I should not drink or I need to drink more. I cannot more. speak. Okay. Always One more. of the two. All right. Law enforcement was unconcerned, saying girls, air quote, like that, frequently left with little notice. So then it rolls over into the next year. And in May 1982, Sue Luna comes to Alaska to seek a career in the sex trade. She came from, is that on like a career, like when those, those aptitude tests in high school, is like prostitution on there? No, it's frowned upon. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of shit that's a job that wasn't on those things that I could have been doing that make myself some money. But like, I'm like, right? I, why did nobody ever tell me that this was a fucking career option? Right. Like, yeah. I'll take my clothes off for some money. I, people would pay me to keep my clothes on. So, I mean, there's that. I mean, there's guys that are like interested in like little 12 year old boys. I could pose for one of them. It's fine. Let's go. Brandy. Hi. You Yikes. should not encourage pedophilia. I mean, I'm not, Yikes. but like, I look like a 12 year old boy when I'm naked. Hi. I'm just going to let that one go. Yeah, it's just, it's in space now. I have no titties. Brandy, I'm going to redirect if I may. Go for it. (laughs) Okay, so we have Sue Luna. Now, she came from Seattle in the lower 48, but she went north to seek new job prospects and be near her sister. Her sister's name is Bonnie Moorhead. And she had, like, attempted to say, like, hey, Sue, I think you should protect yourself. Please take my 25 automatic gun thing. Yeah. Well, Sue was unconcerned, and I'm like, I'm not fucking carrying a gun. I'll be fine. But the following week, she misses a visit with her sister. So Bonnie goes to her apartment trying to locate her, but the neighbor said that she hadn't been seen in three days. No. Oh, yeah. So Anchorage police are starting to get the the notion that there might be some shenanigans afoot. Just maybe? Just maybe, because that summer, three more missing sex workers happen. And the body of one of them, a topless dancer, is found on September 12, 1982. This would be the first lady I talked about, Sherry Georgia Morrow. Oh. Two moose hunters had found her body near the Knick River with heavy, heavy composition because she was in this very, like, shallow grave, all right? Mm-hmm. And she had a base, dan- base, base, ace bandage wrapped around her head, and they found a 223 caliber shell from a high-powered semi-automatic rifle was found in her shallow grave. Awesome. All right, so... They had to use dental records to identify a lot of his, uh, a lot of the victims in this case. Okay. So, big shocker. They decided since they found, like, you know, the shell casing and shit, that it was murder. No. Really? Yeah. 
due to the remote location of the site, though, right, they figure whoever fucking knocked her off had to be a local who hunted in that area or something or a hiker or something because you really have to know that terrain to get back out of it. Right. And at this time, Anchorage had 150,000 people. So it was going to be really hard to pinpoint a really good suspect right away. And worse, worse, worse enough, right? You got the ADP involved, but it's technically state trooper jurisdiction. Oh, no. Because it's in the woods. So they think that this shit's isolated, but you have Bonnie, right? And she's like, man, I really hope Sue's still alive. Um, but like the strippers and the prostitutes working in Anchorage knew something was wrong because four or five of theirs had gone missing and now one was dead. All right. So there's, there's some fear happening now. Strange coincidence. Sue also went missing after she had a photo shoot with an unknown, unknown male who was willing to pay large bills for a menial date. The photographer was now the suspect, and some effort was kind of made to try to locate him. So they huh. snuck in some undercover agents uh, into bars looking for uh, uh, unusual behaviors among the male clientele. Working with the dancers, they determined there were rendezvous with 15 sp- suspects who might have yielded bad dates, air quote. So that's how they started compiling their list of people to look at for these murders. Um, they've also looked into men with bizarre fetishes and sordid pasts. It's hard to connect anyone to the murder, though, because as they keep going, this list is so generic that more and more suspects keep getting added on. So it's getting serial. So this brings us to June 13th, 1983. A girl goes tearing down Fifth Avenue, screaming, running for her life, barely dressed, barefoot, and wearing handcuffs. So this girl, she's a 17-year-old prostitute from Oregon named Cindy Paulson. However, we're going to call her Kitty Larson for the remainder of the episode because that is what my audiobook called her. So anytime I'm talking about Miss Kitty Larson, I'm talking about Cindy Paulson, okay? That's Don't confusing. I know, but the audiobook kept saying Kitty. So all my notes were for Kitty. That's so fair. I, I can write, rewrite 30 pages of notes. So I'm just adding no. this in here now. Okay. It's it's Cindy Paulson. So don't come at me. All I'll right. accept it. Great. All right. So Kitty flags down a truck and insists on being taken back to the motel. She was staying at the big timber five blocks away so then you get this 10-year veteran officer greg baker who reports this scene to interview this very visibly distraught girl she was so panic and desperate to get these handcuffs off because they were still around her wrists and they were causing severe abrasions and stuff from her freaking out and struggling she was convinced that her kidnapper would return to finish the job and also was hesitant to talk with Officer Baker because she didn't want to get in trouble for prostitution. Okay. So, you know, there's that. Okay. So Kitty reported to the officer that she had been picked up off a street corner to take an offer for a $200 blowjob. 
All right. And the male was very unassuming, very unassuming. But he pulls a gun on her and slaps handcuffs on her and kidnaps her, takes her to his home. So he chains her to a post in his finished basement and kept her against her will to rape her for several days. Okay. In fact, his surface of choice was a black bear rug. Hmm. Uno was a real black bear rug. Okay. Real one. Because he had shot that bear himself. And fucked up enough, he'd be like, tell me you want it. Right. And of course she's resisting. She's crying. Like, no, she clearly doesn't, guy. I don't know where you're getting your, your shit mixed up. All right. So she's like, all right. Rape is one thing, but I don't want to die. So she makes a, a, an effort to escape by asking to use the restroom. And he ties a neon leash to her. And when it goes slack kind of randomly, she books it for the window and then realizes it's now shut. It then dawns on her that this guy is really going to kill her. So she attempts to run out of the bathroom when she hears these train chains rattling. And, and, and the guy confronts her and he tells her to go back in the bathroom. And she gives him an old, big old cantaloupe. And she stood her ground. And then he gives her the order again, go back in there. Um, and when she just continues the refrain of nope, he wraps a chain around her neck four times. And as it's tightening, he's telling her, I won't hurt you if you just cooperate. So he wraps her in a yellow and orange afghan, okay, and decides to take a several-hour snooze on the couch with a gun in hand. Like, you just hang out here on the floor. I'm going to take a nap. But yeah, don't go anywhere. Sure. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to try to run away from you, you fuck. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run away. Fuck well, you. since she was chained up, she thought, okay, I'm going to memorize this fucking room, and I'm going to get out of it. And I'm going to tell the police, right? So she she gives a full description of the interior, including a list of wall mount hunting trophies, the bearskin rug she was raped on. There were taxidermy caribou, moose, game birds. Like, she could fucking tell this guy was a killer. And she dismissed a plan to grab the pole cue from its table to bludgeon him, right? But she goes, this is going to be stupid. I'm not going to win this fight. So he has a pool table in his basement. Ultimately, though, again, like I said, she's just like, I'm going to memorize all this shit and I'm going to I'm going to get you. So conversations with the captor revealed that he didn't think two hundred dollars for 20 minutes was getting his money worth. And this was the seventh time that he had supposedly kept a girl in this manner. And now he tells her, Kitty, you're lucky because usually these girls stay for a week. Um but he warned her if she goes and tells anybody about the experience, he has friends that are willing to lie for him. Early that morning, a man takes her, that man takes her to a car, by car to Merrill Field, where he explained that he had this cabin in the woods and they were going to get there using his airplane. She knew she was dead meat, so she took an opportunity to book it when his back was turned to start the plane. She noted the blue and white Piper Super Cab's identification number, which was N30897. Okay. Anybody know who it was registered to? Anybody know who this person is? 
sure you're going to tell us. Oh, I am. Okay. Investigators come to the residence of popular local baker named Robert Hansen at 7223 Old Harbor Road in Maldoon. Okay. Now, Robert Hansen is a mild-mannered family man, and he wore glasses, his face was pocked with acne scars, and he had a slight stutter. And this man was an avid hunter with world record holding trophies. But he had an alibi. He had been in the company of John Sumnall and John Hennings all evening until 5 a.m. that morning. Bullshit. Well, Bob waives his right to attorney and agrees to let the officer search his house, his plane, and his car. All right. So they find 223 rifle cartridges in his front seat with surgical gloves and ace bandages. They also find in his house traps with chains but no ropes, a padlock, several green army blankets, ammo hand-loading equipment, a basement exactly as Kitty described, and false panels in his wall had a cache of shotguns, rifles, pistols. Now, here's the shit part. None of the guns in his house matched the gun that Kitty had talked about during her capture. All right. The weird gun to pay attention to is the Thompson Contender. Now, this was favored by marksmen since the barrel could be swapped out for different ammo sizes, including a 223. Nothing was found in his plane. Kev, do you know anything about the Thompson Contender? I may just have some notes on that. Let me pull up that screen. Because this gun is important, and I know shit about it. So, yes, I, I did some research, as as I was instructed to, and um, Sorry, the Brandon, company you got a little was, heads up. I did get a little Look heads up. Look at you so doing you. your work. Maybe yeah, you're I know, not just, trash. I also had to yell at my cats, who, des- who determined it was time to be fed while in the middle of this, so that was fun. <laughs> yeah, fuck the cats. It's fine. I mean, don't fuck uh, the cats. That's kind of don't wrong. actually fuck the cats, but like just throw them food randomly. No, no, I got yelled at the last time I took one of my big boys to the vet because he weighed way too much. So I have to, I have to feed them all individually now, which is currently oh. the bane of my existence. But that's neither here nor there. So, so um, anyway, back to where we were. Thompson is an American firearms company based in Springfield, Massachusetts. Because, you know, why not? Wait, that's uh, on the other side of the country. Well, you know, there's this thing called shipping where you can move things <laughs> from one place to another. <laughs> usually by usually by truck or plane, occasionally by <laughs> boat. Uh, cars sometimes work also. Horses <laughs> used to be done back in the day. Sometimes <laughs> okay. by foot, I would assume. All right, I had a blonde moment. All right, go ahead. ahead. (laughs) It wouldn't be us if I didn't make fun of you (laughs) occasionally. You know, Brandy, he got me again on last week's dare. Yeah, I did. How? I got her in the Discord. I didn't recognize his handle right away. And he's like, I I wrote, I put up the little puppy with its head tilt. Yeah. That you had me design for, um, you know, ask a follow-up question. 
So Kev asked me a follow-up question and I answered it, not realizing it was Kevin right away. And then I was like, wait, wait, you asshole. You just did this to me again. And he laughed hysterically. I've still, I've been, I was going to, I was in bed last night and started laughing hysterically about it. Was it maniacal laughter? What can I say? I feel like it was maniacal. No. Probably. No. I have, and also, I didn't steal anybody's fun because I was having a great time. <laughs> I sent him a meme, you are the stealer of joy. <laughs> Witches, I am in love with this family-run business, Mystical Existence, the bath products that turn your ordinary self-care ritual into a celestial experience. As a witch, my bathing habits are sacred, so I was overjoyed to find products that not only smell amazing, but don't irritate my sensitive skin. My favorite scent is Scorpio which was designed with Maggie's daughter and the perfume her mother used to wear at heart. All soaps, lotions, and bath bombs are handmade with supplies that are purchased from ethical and responsible manufacturers. A portion of the products are vegan for all you animal lovers out there. As the wheel of the year turns, new products are designed to match the seasons. Currently only available in the United States, you can find Mystical Existence on Facebook, Instagram, or at their website, mysticalexistence.com. Anyway, let's get back on track because this episode's already going to be long as yep. fuck. Okay, um, the company's is not surprisingly known, best known for its line of interchangeable barrels, single-shot pistols, and rifles. Uh, these were designed in the 1960s, and apparently what you can do, because I don't own one of these, so I don't know shit about it, um, there's a pin in the front of the gun. When you break it all down, you can knock the pin out and swap the barrel for another one. Uh, there's a large hinge pin that you pull out, and then you can swap the barrel and anything that you have attached to the top of the uh, pistol or rifle in some cases. So you can keep your, you know, you, if you have different sights, you can keep different sights on there, all kinds of different things. So uh, actually it sounds really, really interesting and very similar to what you can do with the AR style pistols and rifles of today. Uh, you pull the two pins from the upper and lower, they separate, you can slap a new one on assuming everything works caliber wise for that. But that's neither here nor there either. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much uh, pretty much what so, that is. So, like I said, you can swap out. I'm is sorry, there a way for like ballistics to track that that it came from that gun? Since you can swap out the barrels, just gotta find the barrels. Only if you have the barrel that the that the the bullet was fired out of. Because the way it works is each barrel has its own rifle, right. which is what gives the bullet its spin. So it's actually accurate as opposed to a musket, which is like it's somewhere over right. in that direction. So, like, if I had that gun and I just got rid of that barrel, I could get away with it. Pretty much. Yes. Damn. Uh, also, why you could also why shotguns are useful for doing things you don't want to get caught for. Mm. Okay. 
So what would be the benefit? Shotguns have no, shotguns don't have any rifling in the barrel. Therefore, there's nothing to track. Okay. Okay. Well, let's hold on to that nugget for a minute. Because I'm sure we can come back to that later. Because there's a lot of guns in this episode. But I'm so happy you gave me that information. Because that made this make so much more sense for me. of like no idea. Okay. So what happened is, is Robert Hansen, or Bob, as everybody knew him by, uh, his alibi checked out. So the officers are like, I guess we're going to take your word over the hooker. And he goes... Of course they will. Well, guess what he says to the officers? What? Can, I mean, can you really rape a prostitute? Is that Shut even possible? Shut the fuck up. Mm. Did she say no? Then it's rape. Well, okay, so Kitty... Well, if you don't pay her, is it theft of services? Yes. Damn. Yes. It so is. wait, hold on. Hmm. So is this why it's an issue with men that they don't understand? If they throw money at me after like raping me and leaving, do they think that it's, I'm just a prostitute and they think it's okay? Mm-hmm. Kevin, get your stuff. fucking men to act right. Hey, men are trash. But yeah, I know. Make them act right. It's on you now. Listen, the guys who say that men are trash, there ain't shit we can do. <laughs> That's mm. fair. Okay, so. This is out of my hands at this point. Like, listen, men are trash. What do you want <laughs> me to do? You know, women be crazy bitches, so I think it's fair. I mean, yeah, we are some crazy bitches. Yeah. If ever a woman tells you that she's not crazy, she's lying. Because all women are crazy. Those are the ones you got to look out for because they don't think they're crazy. Nope. Yep. All women are crazy. You just have to be able, like, it's what level you can tolerate. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Kitty was on her menstrual cycle while this happened. Same. What she had a tampon in place. No. She did. So, there was sperm in the tampon so she left it in place so when they did her rape kit they could actually take that and have um dna have the dna right yeah which is crazy because she ran the risk of infection you know that if you leave them up there too long but she's it was more ingenious she's smart i'm telling you um but the cops didn't believe her even though they had this this tampon, they had the rape kit, everything. And they don't follow up on it because they didn't, uh, Kitty refused to take a polygraph test to validate her fantastic story. They decided- Are you kidding me? No, they decided no jury could believe a hooker and the case hit a dead end. Lack of probable cause. So this is what's wrong with our world. Like even today, people mm-hmm. say that. Well, hang in there. There's some there's some very interesting players that are about to fall into place. So, hang in there because not all cops to know, are garbage. Um, wait, is the guy that did this dead? You'll find out. Hey, that means he's not dead. No spoilers. Yeah. This is a spoiler-free yeah, episode. She didn't know <sighs> that exactly who Mangala was, so she was in for a ride. So, we I want to make sure that if you don't know who the Alaskan butcher baker is, that you're in for the ride. No, because now I know that work, whenever... They worked with the candlestick. <laughs> whenever you tell me what episode you're doing, I don't look them up. But yeah, like, I don't look yours up either. Dead. That's why I cried in Waco, because I didn't I look it up. I purposely didn't watch Netflix for that. I know. All right. So anyway, <clears throat> lack of probable cause. 
So somehow this winds up, somebody uh, forwards it to the Alaskan state troopers. So Baker, the interviewing officer, like believed her fear. And he followed up with a security guard who reported a white male in a green coat running towards a green vehicle with a license plate number BJZ775 at 5.15 that morning. And this license plate transferred back to, let me down. Bob. There you go. You know, kind of kind of a weird coincidence, huh? Yeah, it couldn't have been Bob. Mm-mm. No, it's not like they had his registration from his plane and his car. It doesn't matter. And his listen, you leave Bob alone. And his basement matched perfectly. No, he had an alibi. It was, it was yeah, of course he did. Angry, angry prostitute. Listen, leave Bob out of this. Bob's Shut a great the fuck guy. up, Kevin. You tell me at the end of this if he's a great guy. We're gonna play that game. He's not. Okay. Spoiler alert, he's not. (laughs) Okay, computer background checks in the 80s were like barely a thing, all right? Okay, so a lot of paper copies of reports uh, and prosecuted charges were left, or unprosecuted charges were left and paper copies. So if you committed a crime but you weren't charged for it, that wasn't logged into the computer, okay? So that background search was a hell of a lot more difficult to do. So. There's this guy, Hogsvin, Sergeant Lie Hogsvin, who also had Sherry Morrow's case on his desk. And he had a knack for hopeless cases. So he decided that he was still trying to find Sherry's golden arrowhead pendant that her boyfriend had given her that she never took off and wasn't in the shallow grave. So... They're hoping that this mysterious photographer that they're looking for kept it as a memento, but this is purely speculation. Maybe if he found the cabin that Kitty was talking about in her case, the necklace might be there. I don't know. This is just the way his brain worked. He tried to look into the flight plans of Hansen's plane. However, they were hard to pin down because the tower always took the word of the pilot. And Bob purposely put his ID numbers on the plane very, very small. Hogsvin's like jellies told him that Hansen had to be a liar because when he looked into him, he shouldn't even have a pilot's license because he was on lithium. Um, And that was described for his manic depressive mood disorder. Baker in the meantime, is still digging through these scores of backlogged paperwork. So he goes all the way back to the 70s, and he was determined not to let this case stall. That's when he found uh, anything he could find on Bob Hansen, anything at all, he sent to the state troopers knowing that they now had the case. So then September 2nd hits, 1983, we find another shallow grave with bones. So this corpse is like, well, yeah, pretty much bone bone zombie thing. I don't know. It was dressed in unzipped blue jeans, striped sweater split up the middle to expose the bra, which had also been cut in two. And hey, that's just expensive. You gotta be nice I know, right? Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> 
what's weird is is this this body this grave was found very close to sherry morrow's literally found the year prior coincidence i think not no um but there wasn't a purse or jewelry or an id so nothing helpful to help id the bodies they had to go back to dental records again and what's well, I mean, it could be a coincidence. It's not like Alaska is that big. There's only so many places to hide a body. You know, occasionally, they're going to overlap. <laughs> are you are you are you saying that it is possible that these are unrelated? No, that was complete dripping sarcasm. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So they only had her lower jawbone left because of the bad decomposition to try to make a, a dental record match. So it was going to take a hot minute. Um, guess what they also... That would be really hard. That's what she said. Yeah, but now I'm thinking about like just using my lower jaw to match dental records. Uh-huh. Like, no, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all. Guess what they also found in the grave that was also in Sherry Morrow's grave? Mm, the casing? Yes, ma'am. From the gun that I don't know? Yep, the two twenty three shell casing. They hmm. matched, by the way. So definitely not a coincidence, and the same fucker did this. Mm-hmm. Well, so they got a p- pile of bones, so they had to take it for autopsy, and that determined that this female was in her late 20s, early 30s, and there was evidence that a bullet had passed through her heart. Wow. So they're, they're realizing that there's this pattern starting to form, and the state troopers are starting to think that maybe these are like serial murders, but there's no suspects. Okay. So the entire, the entire like, case is centered around one fucking superhero, Glenn Flothy. Okay? Glenn. Is he really a superhero? I swear to God he is. I watched like, okay. I can't tell you how many interviews with him. I'm going to link them in the description for the, the episode. But anyway. Okay. He was this very soft, kind of like paternal man who was slated to be a teacher. And like last minute, this guy switches majors to law enforcement, like just on a whim. Oh. In my mind, I see him like John Nash in the 2001 Academy Award winning film, A Beautiful Mind. That is who I picture. Did anybody see that movie? No. We are trapped. I have the attention span of a five-year-old. Hi. If you haven't guessed, and I do this in therapy a lot too with my therapist, I will reference movies like nine times out of ten. I'm, I am a movie buff. Yeah, no, I have the attention span of a five-year-old. Okay, well, he's the crazy guy with all the red strings. Oh, fuck yeah, then. And he's a savant. Like, he's, like, amazing. Yeah, okay. Great. So he sits down with these numerous missing person reports to compile a list that is tenuous at best, but there's, like, seven or eight possible victims. So he okay. he pinpoints that, you know, maybe this girl, Paula Golding, age 30 from Hawaii, might be one of these victims. Kathy Disher. Age 23, she disappeared uh, at the end of 1982. Uh, Dylan Frey, 20 years old, missing since September 1983. Karen Bombsgard, 24 years old from Portland, Oregon. Then you have our Sue Luna, 
23 from Washington State. Tamara Patterson. Girls are younger than I am. Uh huh. 23, Washington State. Tara Watson, 22 from Sacramento. And Angela Fetter, Seattle, Washington, age 26. These are all missing women, he thinks, where it might be connected to the two dancers that are dead. And what you, so you got a pattern, right? All in their uh-huh. 20s-ish, between 5 foot 4 and 5 foot 7. They all weigh between 120 and 125 pounds. And they're all professional sex workers in Anchorage. And they all had big money dates with the stranger before they disappeared. All of them. So are they starting to take it more serious now? Well, Glenn Flofi is. Of course not. He's our superhero. He's our superhero. But what about everyone else? Or are they all just looking at him like, hey, don't worry about that. They're just whores. Yeah. That is really what's happening. Of course So he finds a case, too, from 1980 before all these murders, right, where he thinks it also might be connected. There is a skeletonized body of a young woman also found in the Alaskan wilderness, but they couldn't quite get to the crime scene because it was being, the corpse was, like, being eaten by, like, an endangered bear. And they they couldn't get her body right away. Like it. An endangered big hairy gay guy? Wait, no. This is just getting Yeah, hundred percent. It's Bigfoot. In my brain, Bigfoot I was, ate her. I might Are you saying that Bigfoot is yes. gay? Yes. Because I can get behind this line of thinking. One hundred percent. Kev, you should do a Bigfoot episode. I know you don't want to do an episode. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna flush this out a little bit later, but I I, I think you're onto something here. Oh Bigfoot's my god, Kev, gay? you should do a Bigfoot episode and prove that he's gay. Why else has he been hiding Actually, for so long? Hot take, Bigfoot's asexual. Same. Def told me. Mm-hmm. She's a nun. I'm a nun. Hi. Okay. Bear. So Bigfoot was eating the girl? No, a bear. Yeah, Bigfoot. That's why they couldn't shoot the bear to get the, bo- the body, because this particular bear was endangered. Damn. So they had to wait. Did they um, watch it eat it? No, I, 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 he was disturbing the scene. And one case I saw that he was eating the dead body, but I don't think bears like that kind of meat. So he might've just been like playing. Sniffing at it. That's how long it's been since he had a meal. I, I don't know. But it was, the, they couldn't shoot know. the bear to get the body. That's fair. I wasn't there. Couldn't I have they? an alibi. I wasn't there. I have an alibi. Well, I'm probably allergic to the bear. So same. Mm. All right, so she, once they do get her body, right, they determine that there's evidence of a stab wound in her back. So she was stabbed from behind. She was never identified, though. So Jane Doe, she got a cute little nickname, and it was Eklutna Annie, which I like better than Jane Doe. I don't think every dead girl should be, that without a name should be named Jane Doe. No, of course not. Yeah. But like. She is called Eklutna Annie. Okay. All right, so here's here's the best part. Brandy, you might like this part. Well, maybe it's not the best part, but you'll like this part. So Flofi realizes there's a similarity in Kitty's case to Ted Bundy. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So there was a victim that escaped Ted, and she yeah. was in handcuffs. Oh. <gasps> Her testimony is what put Ted Bundy in jail for the first time. Yeah. So he thinks Kitty's my star witness. She's going to help me get this guy. 
So he's really going to take a harder look at Robert Hansen because of it. I didn't even put that together. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, yeah, smart, smart man. He's amazing. Yeah, you're gonna love him. He's, he's so I mean, it probably helps that it was happening around the same time, like the same era. Yeah, where like, but he was that. so long ago. Yeah, I never put it together too. I mean, it took the audio book is the only yeah. reference that because they had really in depth. Um, right, the second you said Ted Bundy, I was like, oh my god, the bitch got away. Yeah, one got away. It only takes one to get away to nail the guy. Yep. Okay. Okay, go. Go. So, he was not the investigating officer from the APD, though. So, he needed to find Kitty and talk to her himself. But because of, like, that she's a sex worker, there's very little chance that she's still in town. You know, and there were some rumors that she might have went back to Seattle. Oh, yeah. So, um, he starts poking around and trying to find anybody that he can there's this guy named Major Gilmore who was like, dude, Hansen's got a really fucked up past. And he had a record record in Juno to boot, right? So he just knows this oh. guy's name. And he's like, how do you fucking know this guy's name? All right, so here we go. So now Flofi is learning about Bob Hansen. So Bob Hansen's earliest conviction came from arson charges in 1960. His father owned the local bakery in Iowa, and Bob had just returned from a six-month training course for the Army Reserves. Now, he was the tender age of 21, but he became, like, a ringleader of a small gang of, like, hooligans. Of course he did. Yeah, but he was a volunteer firefighter, so, you know, he had some some heart or something. Oh, so he knew how to um, put out the fires that he set. Yes, ma'am. Fucker. We didn't start the fire. Well, it's always burning. Since the world's been turning. <laughs> I don't know the rest of the words. I have literally no idea what you guys are talking about. It's a song. What song? We didn't, we didn't start, start the, fire. the fire. Oh, I hate that song. Okay, sorry. Damn, fuck. Leonard Bernstein. Anyway. Mm. Well, Kev, I'm proud of you for knowing what I was doing. Because, Steph, you're trash right now. I'm the one who started it. Listen, Steph, don't be trash. Thanks. I, okay. I love you. Okay. I'm going to so, give you some hard love now. Okay, hard love it is. Great. But I'm sweating, so I want to get through this. Okay, go. We're helter-sweltering here. Okay. Yeah, we are. Okay, so he was a volunteer firefighter and a gang of hooligans. And this gang was suspected of blowing up a local track. And there was also rumors that they had planned to hit the water tower next. But Bob gets this brilliant idea to mastermind a bus barn burning on December 7th, 1960. So he, he's a dumbass because he goes and he talks to several kids about what he plans to do. Right. And only one shows up to help him commit this bullshit. So they staged their alibi at the bakery by trying to paint these ovens. I don't, I've never painted an oven, so I don't know, but he's trying to paint the damn ovens. And they just like dip out and go pour gasoline all over the barn. And even Bob's the one who's like climbing up the ladder to make sure they get the top level with the gasoline. 
and they make a little trail because they're not stupid and light that bitch up. By the time they returned to the bakery, Bob had to turn his ass back around to respond to the fire call. But his buddy was like, dude, I want to go to that local basketball game. Bob thought that this basketball game was a good night to try to commit this because most of the small town was at that basketball game. So they were distracted. Well, while this fire is raging, three of seven buses were totaled. Barn completely destroyed, and one firefighter was severely injured when a gas tank in one of the buses exploded. Because there, there was already gas in, in the buses. So because he's a dumbass and ran his mouth and asked a few people to help him, his friends ratted him out. Okay? And then he tanked a polygraph test. He was charged with malicious intent and execution of arson with destruction of school property. He explained that why, why he tried to do this. Ready? I just wanted to see if I could get away with it. Well, you did. <laughs> yes, sir. Fucker. Yeah. He also wanted to take revenge on the school since he had been bullied for his acne skin and his stutter. And this was embarrassing to him. So he's like, fuck all of you guys. I'm going to burn your shit. All of them. So then, as you're digging into Robert Hansen's sort of past, uh, he had prior arrests for kidnapping, rape, and assault with a dangerous weapon in 1971. Never filed criminal charges for it, though, so it was not entered into the database. In 1977, Bob was convicted for larceny. Does anybody know what larceny is? Stealing. Yes. I looked it up because I was like, wait a minute. I want to know exactly what this is. It is, I quote, an unauthorized taking and removal of personal property by another, uh, of another by an individual who intends to permanently deprive the owner of it. A crime against the right of possession. Larceny is a nonviolent infraction when i'm having flashbacks to when my wife was studying for the bar exam oh there you go well robbery is a violent theft larceny is a non-violent threat so there's a difference there okay just so we know this was not a robbery he walked into a department store and tried to take a chainsaw so larceny (laughs) the trick is to walk out like that's what he did he put a receipt on it because he found one on the ground and just walked the fuck out Love that guy. Fucking hero right there. Well, he said, look, all right, I took it because it was a Christmas present for my dad. His funds were tied up because he had just bought a new house. And, you know, this man trained him as a baker. It was his daddy. So it it was just too... Should have just baked him a cake. Well, the thought of stealing... With a chainsaw in it. (laughs) You're thinking of a hacksaw. You can't fit a chainsaw in a cake. You could. It could, depending on how big you make the cake. You just need a big ass cake. I'm sure the cake box like could do sheets. it. It's like a four sheet cake together. You could do it. I'm I sure the cake cakes. box could do it. Throw a little fondant on there, it'll be fine. I started watching the Great British Bake Off, so I, I know everything about baking. Oh, do you? I love, I love the. If, if you're not watching the Great British Bake Off, I don't even know what you're doing with it. I don't know. It is Working. pretty good. It's fucking. Amazing. I do. They're so nice to each other too in that competition, man. They're so nice. Well, of course, they're British. They're so polite. 
Well, they're British, so what do you expect? Okay. Is America the only place where we're all assholes to each other? Mm-hmm. No, there's also Germany. Do you know what's fuck fucked up? Too. Is there's a there's a Disney German porn completely fucked up. Okay. I mean, I did watch a frog torture porn from Germany, so I believe you. Well, you know, you know my, you know our friend Jochen, right? Uh, I do the love doctor. Yeah, who was from Germany and now lives in Japan. He is just has shit for porn. All of his porn is just completely fucked up. Uh, I mean, Japanese rival the German for fucked up porn. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like it's, tentacle porn. That I mean, like a lot worse. Or like anime porn. Hey, don't knock anime. No, I, I love me some good hentai. We're not here to kink shame. Not at all. Yeah, I'm here to touch shame it. a little bit. No, we're not here to kink Mm-mm. shame. No, you don't touch the hentai. That that's too good. Okay, kink shaming is a completely different podcast. You got to go find Wait, a different one. Can for I that. kink shame tentacle porn? No, no. What can I kink shame? Nothing. Nothing. We don't kink shame except um, um, pedophiles. Yeah, fuck that okay, guy. Okay, that's fair. Yes. So, like, yes. Okay. All right. So. Okay, We're so Bob knew it was wrong that. for him to steal. And he he was so anyway, yes. Back to, back to the topic yeah. at hand. If I I'd like to de- redirect, if I may. Nah. Okay. Objection. <laughs> Overruled. After we're done with this, I have to tell you a story. Go. What do you mean done with this? We're barely. I this is going to be like a three-hour thing. I know, but it's a cute story. Just don't let me forget. Okay. Bob Hansen also racked up quite the rap sheet of fucking with other women. So he follows this secretary home and attempted to rape her. While he was waiting on for trial on, on that charge, he kidnapped another street worker and, um, oh yeah, took her to the Kenai at gunpoint, threatened to kill her, and explained he had gotten away with murder all in the same breath. The district attorney office agreed to drop all the charges if he pleaded no contest to the assault. So it's technically not a guilty plea, but it is. It's, it's, it's only when you kind of accept that you're guilty in part of a plea bargain instead of, yeah, okay, whatever. I had to look it up because it was weird. He landed a sweet deal with almost like no time served because he's a product, a productive member of society with uh, high valued character witnesses. Okay. Okay. So this new informant, this new information inspired Flothy to dig deeper into the enigma that was Robert Hansen. And it was quite the task to track down all this information without case numbers. So, he finds a case on Christmas Day, 1971. A young woman had been found frozen to death, naked from the waist down, with speaker wire binding her wrists behind her back. She had a giant knife gash across her chest and was sexually assaulted. The girl, however, like managed to escape her attacker and fled by taking a tumble down a 50-foot drop to hide behind some shrubberies. The tire marks at the scene indicated that the assailant circled around looking for her. And what's really fun, let's just get this in your brain, the snow was three feet deep that night and the temperature had fallen to negative five degrees because it's fucking cold in Alaska. No. Mm-hmm. 
So she was ID'd as Melanie Michaels. And this was investigated by Gilmore. Her brothers reported her missing when she didn't return from the babysitting job. But the case went cold because there were a large number of suspects, including families that she babysit for multiple old flames and an ex-fiance. There was a wood, well, a hooker, though, who witnessed this case. She asked to have her names kept out of the newspapers because she was the daughter of a affluent family. But she's in the, the material now. She's known as Robert Patterson. The attacker she described as five foot eight, slender, short blonde hair, a face pockmarked with acne scars, and blue green eyes with glasses. She also had been kidnapped at gunpoint in a local cafe, and her hands were bound behind her back in leather shoelaces. She was taken to the Kenai Motel and viciously raped. Now, she said, and I quote, his penis was shaped funny. It was like deformed or something. It was short, but large around. This is one of the first descriptions of a serial killer penis I've ever come across. And I had to share it. Same. Mm -hmm. You have to know the things. If I know the things, you have to know the things. That's fair. All right. So he promised to return her to Anchorage, but... He lied and drove deeper into the bush and stopped at a steep cliff. And he's stuttering, and he explained he, he, did, he couldn't really take her back to town because he believed that she would tell on him. So at some point, this badass managed to convince this attacker that she wouldn't tell on him, right? She goes, I wouldn't write you out to the police. I hate the police. What rape? Never happened. So the man unties her, drives her back to the same parking lot he nabbed her out of the first place and says, I wish we met under different circumstances and drove off. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. So when she was presented with a photo lineup, guess whose picture she chose? Bob. Mm -hmm. Now she was convinced that Hansen was a cold-blooded killer and he had told her he had gotten away with it before. And she kept saying, like, everything he said he would do, he did to me. Everything he said to me came true. So I believe him when he says he murdered before. Mm -hmm. But, of course, nobody believed the whore. And the case was taken off of Gilmore. Because, guess what happened? What? Somebody's alibi checked out. Fucking Bob. Yep. And no files, no charges were filed. God damn it. So, okay, so Floofy's like, fuck this. This is crazy. And he meets with the arresting officer, Rice. Multiple occurrence led him to believe that Bob was a mad dog that should be locked away and never see the light of day. I mean, Rice was very adamant about this. He also had investigated the case where he had followed the secretary home. No, wait, wait, this is fucked up, okay? He okay. follows this woman home. And knocked on her door, and he used some sort of ruse to use her telephone, and then he leaves. 30, 30 minutes later, this motherfucker just walks in the front door and asks her out on a date. Hard nope. Nope. Mm -mm. Have a nice life. Nope. I mean, I just tore my mother-in-law a new asshole for walking in my house without no, knocking. Honestly. And walking in my room and yelling at me. So, that, I mean, that's, that's an invasion. That's rude as fuck. Yep. 
Anyway, so Bob leaves and then a week later comes back with a firearm and attempts to kidnap her. But she runs away screaming and he gets scared and he gets apprehended by police. You got to admire his stick to it in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that is persistence. That's a certain level of patience. It really yeah. is. Um, I also love the fact that how the video podcast of this is just going to be either Brandy's wall or her hand. You're not wrong. Mm-mm. Listen, I'm sorry, but like, it's just like leaning on my stomach. You don't have to apologize to us. We're not the ones paying for the video podcast of this. True. My phone is overheating. Didn't you buy the stand from Amazon for your phone? Yeah. So you don't have to hold hi. It? I'm at Ryan's house. Mm, okay. And it's overheating. Well, let's, all right. So let's get through it and hopefully Brandy survives. I'll survive. Okay. My so phone can- just might not. Mm. We'll charge your phone and we're going to listen to how Robert Hansen got charged. Okay, go. Yeah, segue. Okay. So he was charged with assault and brought down to the station. The gun he had used was located under the wheel well of his car, but he said, no, I was bow hunting all evening. So they go and search his house, and Rice kind of recognizes the speaker wire that was used to bind the victim in the Melanie Michaels case in Bob's house. But another trooper overrode him and said that they weren't allowed to take the wire because it wasn't, he couldn't seize it. While in police custody, Robert Patterson, who who survived the shit, identified Hansen as her attacker with the strange penis from the lineup. Solidifying her case with an eyewitness who can confirm she was in the company of Hansen. Like he finds another person that saw them sitting together. He goes to the the DA and he's like, dude, we got to hit this like balls to the wall. And the DA ignores him and makes a bullshit plea deal with Bob's attorney. Sounds about right. Yep. Okay. So what's interesting about her case is that it was handed off to a guy named Hughes. Hansen found Robin's custody paper in, uh, like in her purse, all right, when he was like attacking her. And found out that her parents had custodianship over her son. So he hand writes down their address and threatens to murder them if she doesn't comply. Now, Hughes and Rice try to get a handwriting sample from Bob and also compare it not only to, uh, to compare it against the motel registration from the rape. So the cops found that fucking piece of paper in the wallet, but they couldn't take it without a search warrant. And Bob was claiming, I don't know how it got in there. So some rookie motherfucker took an inventory of his personal effects during the booking. And this asswipe takes advantage of that. He can see it completely as clear as day. So Bob says, hey, you know, there might be more money in that wallet. And when the officer turned his back, he palmed the paper note. Now, during the protocols uh, at the booking, they gave him a second pat down and found the piece of paper in his pocket. And they go, what's this? And he goes, oh, that's the name and the address of somebody who's going to post my bail. The fucking rookie, rookie, blip, blip, blip. The fucking rookie 
copies down the information and returns the original, the valuable evidence, to Bob. Oh, my God. Yeah. So there's 12 years of missed opportunities due to circumstantial evidence and all of these alibis being validated by his friends and the DA didn't want to touch him. But Flofi's not done with him yet. But you have to wait till part two to find out what Flofi does. So we, we've, we've hit the end of, of part one. It's long and awkward pause. I'm oh, sorry. I love long awkward. I'm all awkward. I mean, pauses. it was a really long awkward pause. It it like hurt my soul a little bit. It was. Just, I'm sorry. It was, that's okay. All right. So, thoughts thus far in the case. Bob's piece of shit, and I hope he's dead. Um, and Flofy. First of all, you have a bomb ass fucking name. Second of all, yes, bitch. Hmm. There's so much I want to say, but I don't want to banter too much because episode two is where this all comes to head. All of okay. I had to lay so much groundwork in episode one. It is so dry compared to episode two. I feel like there's so much going on here. On that note, we should probably hit a non-offensive dare. Okay, my darling witches, it's time for your weekly non-offensive dare. You must be a Patreon to participate so you can earn points for your house. Each month, the house with the most points gets to vote on weekly non-offensive dares, topics of future episodes, and so much more. Each week, once you've gotten your dare, you must safely and creatively complete a post on social media so that we can see that you've done the task. You can tag us at Twitter at Macabre Academy, or you can tag us on Instagram at The Macabre Academy, and you must include a hashtag with your house name to obtain the points. The world is a fucked up place. These dares are designed to bring silliness and random acts of kindness into the world. You must safely complete your dare. If you are unsafe, your points will not be counted. You can also earn additional points for your house by being the first to submit episode corrections to us at themacabacademy at gmail.com. Also, if we use your ideas or stories in a future episode, more points may be awarded. Let's return to the podcast to see what your weekly non-offensive dare will be. Okay. Okay, great. Look, I got the notebook. Kev did not slip in an inappropriate comment because I had everything I needed available. It's good this time. Proud of you. I know. I was trying to make it hard for Kevin, actually. That was the goal. That's my way of teasing him. All right. I'm going to give you some parameters. Who wants to pick the number this time? 23. Did I already pick that number? You picked 22 in episode 5. I didn't pick 23 yet. Okay. (laughs) So you want 23. I don't know. Is it good? No, but we're going to go with it because it is a random act of kindness. Well, I don't like those. Okay. Your Patreon dare this week is to make a dessert from scratch. 
<laughs> I did that. No, I didn't. No, you have to have you have to have social media proof. I have a picture. You need to get your house to start doing stuff because Tara in my house, Barnum, does the dares. I have and no now, one in my house. Yes, you do. Rachel and Cheryl are in your house. Rachel, come the fuck on. Cheryl, I expect more from you. <laughs> well, Cheryl doesn't listen to the true crime cases. I hate to break it to you. Cheryl! She's in house nevermore. She likes the paranormal shit and the witchy shit. This is why we have a variety. So she doesn't listen to these episodes? She doesn't like violence, just like Kevin's wife's not allowed to listen to this episode because of the violence. Okay. No, she's not allowed to listen to this podcast full stop. Full stop. There you go. It's not for everybody. Okay. So that's it. This episode's over. Because we gotta, we got to pause, okay. and we're going to have 10 minutes, but everybody else is going to have to wait for a week. I'd also love to hear your theories and stuff on Twitter. Like, don't ruin it. Don't watch the documentary yet. Let's just, let's just talk about There's it. There's a documentary? There's several. This is a very famous case. I've never heard of it. He's in the same coloring book as Ted Bundy and Gacy. I mean, that's fair, but I've never heard of it. That's okay. You're going to. Yeah. You're, you're halfway there. So let's See, let's hear your theories. That. I can't believe you never halfway there. Oh wizard I... on a bear. <laughs> I'm really disappointed. That I don't know the song. You don't know the song? I have no idea what Kevin's singing. Living on a prayer. Oh I do, but that's not what it sounded like. No, he said wizard on a bear. Yeah. But so it's the same song. Kev. Don't quit your day job. I like my day job laid me off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a day job anymore. All right, that's fair. That's fair. All right, we're done. Are we done here? We're done. Yeah, I'll yeah. see you guys in ten minutes. All right, everybody, okay. have a great week. All right. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Nerdy Witch in partnership with Sound Maiden. We want to thank all of our wonderful Patreons. For updates, please follow the Macabre Academy on Facebook. Remember to like, share, and listen exclusively on Buzzsprout. Soon, we'll be available wherever you listen to podcasts.